Amen. Good morning. Is it working? There we go. All right, so before we get started in this next section, a couple of things. It's a little bit of a more of a rough downer. Not downer is maybe the, a little harsh, but it's, it's heavy stuff again. Now, next week, we're going to start where he says, as God's people, now this is what we need to do. And before we think that's happy and this is sad, then next week we actually need to apply it, which means we're going to be a little, working a little bit more at ourselves. So it's just as hard. It's just as difficult. It's just as heavy of a, a passage next week. But this week, whew, like Jude, it's like he's building up. Can, can you just feel it? Like the, the I don't want to say it, the frustration or the anger or, or the, the godly anger that Jude has as he's speaking about these false teachers. He describes them and says, this is who they are in verses 3, 4, and 5, and 6 and 7. He, he kind of gives a little bit more description, but like, it just seems like he just goes on a rampage almost on this in these verses and he does it for a reason and this is heavy because he's trying to drive home a point he's trying to drive home the point that these false teachers don't follow them now in this passage too he quotes enoch which is uh not part of scripture and again we talked about that last week when he quoted the uh, the book the, the ascension of moses moses um, he's not saying that this is like the ascension of Moses or this quote from Enoch is the inerrant word of God. He uses, he's using it as an example, if you would say as an illustration that these Jewish Christians would be aware of and they'd understand. And so he's pulling this out saying, saying, here you go, look at this. This is what Enoch said. You know this story. And then he goes on to explain it, which we'll get to in, in a second, which if you look at that quote, ungodliness is in there quite a bit and i think he's trying to make a point there too (laughs) who are these false teachers they are ungodly people and he says in this letter the same thing we've said every week contend for the faith that's the main focus as christians he's calling us to action Contend for the faith does not mean you sit back and you watch. It means you get into the fight. You get into the brawl. You keep your eyes and ears open for false teachers, and then you act. Fighting for the faith has no room for apathy. It calls for action on the part of those who love and follow Christ. False teachers had crept their way unnoticed into the church, a group of people who arrogantly put themselves above the truths of God. Jude says they're perverting the grace of God into sensuality, sexual immorality specifically, probably homosexuality, as he gives Sodom and Gomorrah uh, as an example. And they're denying Christ as their master and Lord. In other words, they're, they are their own God. They are fulfilling their own sinful desires and they're teaching others to do the same. And as we saw last week, all it does is lead to judgment. It does not lead to life. Maybe in the short term, you fulfill desires. In the long term, it leads to hell. And so he says, as a church, fight, fight, contend. So far, Jude has addressed the reasons why the church should fight for the faith. 
And he will end his letter, as I said earlier, explaining how that fight should take place, what we should do as a church, as believers in Christ. But in these verses today, he ends his commentary on the, these false teachers with the words, Woe to them. Woe to them. Now, according to theologian Douglas Moo, the word woe, that word specifically is used in the Old Testament. We hear that a lot if you read through the law. Woe to them. Woe to the evildoers. Woe to the wicked. And that word woe is used in the Old Testament to announce the pain and distress that people will experience as a result of God's judgment on them. For instance, Isaiah chapter 3 verse 11 reads this, Woe to the wicked! Disaster is upon them. They will be, be paid back for what their hands have done. Jude is not using this word lightly. There's a reason he says, woe to them. He understands the background and the weight that this word holds for these Jewish believers. And through it, he's trying to drive home the point that the wickedness of these false teachers needs to be taken seriously by the church. Far too often do churches become complacent. And before you know it, they're following right along with those teachers. Because these false teachers, they are more than simply uninformed individuals. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. They're looking to deceive and devour the church. And so we need to act and contend. Verse 11 gives a summary thesis or point, the main things that he's trying to drive in these verses 11 through 16. He points to three different ways or, or, ways or three different paths in which the false teachers have taken. These are more than just biblical examples. We've looked at those, right? We've, we've talked about, the, look at, they are like these people. They are like these people. But when he says, walked in the way, the ways of Cain. What he's trying to do is, is he's saying these are types. This is what Douglas Moo calls types of people. Now we've heard that before where when we went through the book of Samuel, that David is a type of Christ. He's a historical figure. David is a historical figure whose life points us to a later figure, namely Christ, the Messiah. So David is, is a great king, but he's not the Messiah. He's not good enough. Now, where David is a positive type, Cain, Balaam, and Korah are negative types. These people from the biblical past point the church of Jude's day and our day today to those who teach falsely. Where in verse 8, Jude says that these false teachers are like Israel, Sodom, and Gomorrah. Here in verse 11, he says they are Cain and Balaam and Korah. And it seems like a seemingly small difference that actually gives more weight to what he's about to say. Woe to them! Why? Because this is who they are. And if you remember what happened to these three people, they would not be doing what they are doing. And we would fight and contend for the faith so we do not follow and so that others do not follow in their stead. So who are these types? Well, Cain is the brother of Abel. Balaam famously had a donkey speak to him. 
That's how people mostly remember him. And then Korah led a rebellion against the authority of Moses and Aaron. And we're going to touch, touch on each one of them. But the path or the way of each of these is the way of, the, way of these false teachers. And it's a way that brings divine judgment, not divine blessing like they were saying. So here we go. The way of Cain. They've walked in the way of Cain. In Genesis chapter 4, both Cain and his brother Abel have given an offering to the Lord but where Cain brings an offering of the fruit of the ground, Abel gives the firstborn of his flock, the first fruits of his labor. And when the Lord accepts Abel's offering while rejecting Cain's, Cain becomes angry. And that's not like pouting in the corner. Humph. I mean, angry. So angry that God warns him. This is what God says to Cain. In Genesis chapter 4, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, if you offer me of the first fruits, will I not accept them? In other words, I didn't, I didn't accept your offering because it's not the first fruits. Not because I like Abel better than you. Abel gave the first fruits of his labor. You just gave me some. You wanted to keep the first, fruit, first, first fruits for yourself. And then he continues, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So God's warning him. You are so angry that the sin that is ready to, it, it wants to grab a hold of you. And if you listen to this sinful desire, what's going to happen? It's going to end up bad because it's going to rule over you not your love for me but Cain didn't listen to the Lord and so he rose up and he killed his brother now what does this have to do with the false teachers of Jude's day well the way of Cain is the way of falling prey to sinful desires God warned Cain of sin's deceitful ways of its ability to devour the individual but instead of ruling over his sinful desires, Cain gave into them. And Jude alludes to this uh, way of Cain when he speaks of the false teachers being wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Uh, the, the visual of that. Like the wild waves of the sea which stir up and throw foam all over its surface, so these false teachers unashamedly cast up the foam of their sin for all to see unashamedly go against the word of god four times he calls them and their deeds ungodly describing them as grumblers malcontents following their own sinful desires but like cain they will face the div divine judgment of god for their ungodliness that's why it's called ungodliness they have also walked in the way of Balaam. Balaam was a pagan prophet who was known for cursing someone's enemies. If you wanted an enemy cursed, an enemy cursed, you'd go to Balaam. You'd pay him and he would curse him. Now, if you don't pay him, he's not going to curse them. Or uh, he would do it for the right price. 
You pay him enough, he will do it. Or as 2 Peter 2.15 reads, Balaam loved gain from wrongdoing. In other words, he loved doing anything which created an advantage to himself, even if it meant cursing an individual or an entire nation. If it's in his interest, he was open to it, and he loved it. The false teachers walked the same path, feeding themselves at the sake of, of the sheep, that is the church, and showing favoritism to gain advantage. That's verses 12 and 16. Throughout Scripture, God's people are commanded to never show partiality in seeking justice. Neither the rich and influential nor the poor and common individual should be showed any type of favoritism. For God himself, the great judge of all creation, is not partial, and he takes no brides. And we are to be like our God. He sees the heart. And no matter, no matter the amount of money, nothing can sway him to make any unrighteous judgment, because he is the just and right judge. And so these false teachers are tickling the ears of the church to their own advantage, they're showing favoritism to those who would be, would be of the greatest worth to themselves. And while this may be to their advantage in the short term, eternally, they're going to go the way of Balaam, who eventually died by the sword of Israel. So it is, they will die by the sword of God. Finally, these false teachers have walked in the way of Korah. Numbers 16 tells us of how Korah charged Moses and Aaron as having exalted themselves above the people of Israel, that they had placed themselves as leaders. He denied that God had made them judge and priest. Who are you to say? Who are you to be judge over us? Who made you judge? I think I'm just as good of a judge as you. I think we could rule over ourselves. Who put you in charge? And if you read the passage, when he says this, Moses falls on his face because he realizes what Korah is actually saying and doing. Those with him, Korah and those with him, they were not rebelling against Moses and Aaron, but against the Lord himself. And it's going to cost them their lives. The ground opened up under their feet and swallowed them up with all of their household and all that they owned. When we think that sin against God affects only me, I think if we really put our minds to it and remember our own sin and the sins of others around us, it affects everyone in our midst. These false teachers in the church they're walking the same path. They are rebelling against God and His authority. And His divine judgment is going to fall upon them as it did with Korah. Remember, they're rejecting. They're rejecting the truths of God. They're rejecting the grace of God as told them by God's Word. And this is where he quotes Enoch. He says that the Lord is going to come with 10,000 of His holy ones to execute judgment, divine judgment, on all and to convict or to expose all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds. All of those deeds that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him, that is, against God. 
In other words, God is going to reveal, expose to them and say, what you are doing, what you are teaching, what, are you, what you are holding to is ungodly. It is not my way. And he will judge them for that. It's not that these false teachers could face judgment. It's that they will face judgment. As we see in verse 4 of Jude, they have already been designated for this condemnation as false teachers. This is where we talk about, I've mentioned a number of times, this is not, this is not an individual who's wrestling with sin. This is not an individual who's trying to contend for the faith or, or a new believer or even an unbeliever who's getting convicted by the word and trying to, try to a word of God and the gospel of God and trying to, trying to figure out how, how, how am I saved? How do I believe? How does my faith grow? That's this not who he's talking about. This is not a, a believer who's, who's struggling with faith. In fact, he, he deals with that later on in the letter where he says, show them grace and mercy. Come alongside those who are struggling. That's not who he's talking about. He's talking about these arrogant, false teachers who are placing themselves above God. They know it, they've been told it, and they do not care. And if you're on YouTube at all, or on the radio at all, you know exactly who I'm talking about. We can recognize them. We talked about this too. How do we recognize them? We're in the Word and we hear preachers and teachers who are arrogantly flouting their own sinful desires and saying, this is the right way. God is going to show you grace. A loving God would never tell you, don't fulfill your own desires. But the reality is a loving God reveals sinful desires and says, these lead to my judgment. But my desires lead to life and joy and fulfillment. These are false teachers who could care less about God. They're in it for themselves. Shall I say it? Health, wealth, prosperity. That's just one example. Do you want to have wealth? Then you need to give more money so that I can have a private jet. Sorry, that was personal. I don't want your money. I don't want a private jet. That's not me. I'm just using that example. But that's, that's false teaching. Do you want to be best blessed by God? Then you need to give us more so that we can pray more for you. You want to be healthy? Then just have more faith. That's falsehood for their own gain. Yes, we want to be healthy. Yes, we want to be able to live and not starve, pay our bills. Yes, but not at the sake of the truth. Not, at the, not for the sake of a false gospel. See, Jude does not mince words in these verses. He calls these false teachers, and I'm going to go through each one of these. I love... I love the way he describes these things. This is something that I, I wish I could do well. I can't. I, I can't 
talk, well, that's why it's in the Bible. I'll just go with what he says. He does it so, he says it so much better. He calls them hidden reefs. Hidden reefs who will make a shipwreck of the faith of anyone who would follow. They're waterless clouds who give the hope of rain and life, but are blown away by the wind and dry everything to death. They're fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead and uprooted, which are only worthy of being cut down and thrown into the fire. They're wandering stars. This is one of my favorite ones. They're wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. And you're like, man, Mark, you have a, that's your favorite one? Because it's so descriptive. Anyone who tries to navigate by a moving star, where is that going to take you? If you're on a boat in the middle of the ocean and you don't have GPS and you look for a star and you go, I like that one, I'm going to go that direction. Well, what happens with the stars? They're moving. Or if he's talking about like a shooting star, maybe. Well, that shooting star moves. If you try to follow it, you're going to have no direction whatsoever. Jude doesn't worry about hurting the feelings of these false teachers. Again, this is not people who are struggling with sin. These are people who are blatantly teaching sin sin all the more. He's telling the simple and plain, plain truth so that the church of God can recognize them for who they really are and then deal with them in a godly way. Now, that phrase right there, dealing with them in a godly way, many times, again, we go right to a, a brother or sister or an unbeliever who's struggling in sin. You, you want to deal with them gently. And that's true. You want to be, you want to be gentle. But in this case, I, I, don't, I don't get gentle from Jude's words. Maybe I'm just reading into them a little bit much. I don't see gentle in this first half of his letter. He's speaking to them directly, and he says, this is the godly way to deal with them. Well, how? All right, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. These are the words of Paul, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 3. Paul is addressing, and you'll hear, you hear a lot of similarities in here. I wanted to actually say this last week, to read this last week, but I, I kept it for this week because this is kind of the conclusion of his very aggressive language. Maybe it's a good way to put it. Spiritually aggressive language. So here's what Paul says. How do we deal with specifically ungodly teachers, but people who reject the gospel, people who try to teach a false gospel. What does Paul say that we who are the church, believers in God, followers of Christ, what do we do? What should we do? Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3. Um, I'm going to read all the way through verse 14. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So in other words, if you are sexually immoral, now this is not just like you made a mistake or you were an unbeliever. He's saying, 
if you are not only doing these things, you're promoting them, you're loving them, you're encouraging others to follow in your wake. There is no, there is no inheritance for you in the kingdom of God, aka there is no salvation for you until you turn from your wicked ways and you follow Christ. That's, that's what Paul is saying. All right, here we go. Keep going. Verse six. Let no one deceive you with empty words. That's false teaching. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you were light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Jude is pleading with the church. And if we bring Paul's words into it, he's, he's, he's saying the same thing. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality. Have nothing to do with the impure before God. Have nothing to do with idolaters who worship themselves and their own desires above God. Why? Because there is no life in them. They will lead you only to divine judgment, to the gloom of utter darkness and the punishment of eternal hell. Instead, he says, Paul says here, and Jude's going to get there. Instead, walk as children of light, as children whose lives reflect the truths of God and his word. Remember, Paul says, you used to be that way. You were living in darkness. You had no life. You were lost. You were following wandering stars. And then Christ came into your life. He gave grace to you. He showed you and revealed himself to you. And he saved you through faith in him. Remember that. And pull people from the darkness. But those who love the darkness, those who are promoting the darkness, those who, who hear the truth of the light and they refuse to believe have nothing to do with them. Live in a way which exposes and makes visible the sinful rebellion against God. Why? So that through the power of God, hearts would be changed, the dead would come to life, not literally, the dead in sin, would come to eternal life in Christ, that the dark would be made light. Christ will shine down on those who believe in him as master and Lord, and the glory and the greatness of God would be seen by an unbelieving world. See, the first half of Jude's letter is rough, but he's driving home the point that to tolerate false teachers in the ranks of the church holds serious consequences for the church as a whole. Instead of forgiveness of their sins and the gift of eternal life in the presence of Christ, they are leading people to punishment for their sins and divine judgment of eternal death away from the grace and mercy of Christ. 
That is why we try so hard at Elm Creek Tribe. We pray all the time. I pray all the time. Help us to be faithful. Expose where we are falling away from your truth. Help us as a church to stand firm on you, the truth, the foundation that never changes, that never moves as a north star that is constant in the sky. That if we follow you, you will give us life. And if we follow you, then you will use us to expose people who are in the darkness, who don't believe that this is the truth. Christ is the way. That if we lose sight of him, we're going to lead them to who knows what, which in the end just leads to divine judgment. We desire as a church to remain faithful no matter the cost. No matter the price. And I tell you, if it means that we only have 10 people sitting in these seats, uh, we've said this before. Well, let me just say, I have said this before, quoting one of our elders from about Six, seven years ago, if God closes our door, let's make sure it's because we've been faithful, not because we've been unfaithful. So be it. Do you think God needs Elm Creek to continue his kingdom? He doesn't need us. But man, as his people, we want to be faithful so that as long as we are in existence, that we do not stray from the truth. The gospel is always there. The truth of salvation by grace through faith is always there. That we strive to obey the commands of God, that we strive to point people despite our own sin, despite our own feelings, to go, you know what, this is not about Mark. This is not about you. This is not about this teacher or that teacher. This is about Christ. And we need to follow him. And as we come to the communion table this morning, This is one of the things, remember, we talked about this three weeks ago. Remember what Christ did. And we need to remember that there is only one true gospel. There's only one way, and his name is Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I think I quote this like every other week. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. The grace that you receive is not done by us. If you are saved, you have received the grace of God. Why? He has shown you favor because he has shown you favor, not because you deserve it and you earned it. Not because of any work that you do. Well, I, I teach Sunday school. Well, I, I can say I, I stand up on a weekly basis and I preach the word of God. So God must see that is good and so that's good enough to be saved by him. No. God has shown me grace because he's shown me grace. And he has saved me through the faith that he has given me. He has changed my heart. And if you're a believer, he's changed your heart. All glory goes to him. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. It is not a result of works so that none of us can boast. So that we can't, I can't stand up here and say, you see my life? Do you know why I have such a good life? 
It's because I've been so faithful to God. Now, God blesses, but there are a lot of people in this world who are way more faithful to God than I am, and they're dying of cancer, or they have no money, or they're homeless. My salvation, your salvation, is not dependent upon your goodness. Praise God. It's not dependent upon you fulfilling your desires. It's dependent upon Christ and what he did upon the cross because through his actions on the cross, by his willingly taking himself, taking upon himself the punishment that we deserve for our sins, he extends his grace to us. He gives faith to those who believe that what he did was efficient to save us from the wrath of God for all eternity. Not just a little bit, for all of it. Why are we called to fight for the faith against those who pervert this grace of Christ, who pervert and deny the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross, who would instead fall prey to their own sinful desires, would rather show favoritism in order to gain advantage for themselves, to rebel against the commands of God and his desires, Why are we called to fight? Because Christ and the salvation given to us through him is worth whatever scars and wounds we may receive in the fight. Should should this world take our lives, so be it. Can we say that? Can we as a church stand and say, I will stand for the gospel I will call out false teaching. I will live a life of devotion and love of God because he first loved me. And so as we prepare our hearts to take the bread and the drink, as we remember what Christ did for us, may we be reminded that he did it for all who believe in him. He did it so that the gospel, the truth of who he is, would be spread into this world, into this dark world. The light of his truth would shine. And that those who follow ungodly ways of false teachers will find themselves on the same path of divine judgment. So pray. Pray for those teachers. Pray that God will change their heart. We don't know who he's going to save. And yet, do not follow their ways. For to do that is to minimize and belittle the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. So when you are ready, come grab a drink, grab bread, come back to our seat, dwell on, think through, remember Christ's sacrifice praise him for the salvation. Don't don't say, thank you, I'm not like one of them. Don't do that. Christ speaks against that. Say, thank you that you have saved me. Thank you that you have shown me the truth. And if you have yet to do that, if you have yet to put your faith in Christ, then hear these words, put your faith in Christ. He is the only way in the truth and the life, the only way to heaven, the only truth that will save you, the only one that will give you eternal life for all all eternity. Put your trust in him and what he did and then praise and glorify God forever.
So when you are ready, come to the table.